Well, let's pray as we come to the Bible. Our Lord, as we seek to have an understanding of the, the words that are in this, this book of life, we pray, Lord, that you would be the one who brings this to our hearts, that all of the pressures and, and all of the tumult that we face, often day by day, that you would just protect us that, from that for a moment that we might consider these words and, and hear from you and be brought to you, even that above what a person can bring. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What what needs do we have? Uh, when it comes to thinking about important needs, we can all too often uh, think that that's circulating around the things that will help us in our personal lives. Some physical thing that we might think that we'd like to have. You know, you, you uh, get locked out of your house and think, I need the key, or I need a key. You're running low on fuel, you need a service station. You look, you're suddenly seeing all the things along the side that are not service stations, you're looking for the service station. Hungry, food. Cold, warmth. But what about those deeper needs uh, for relationship, for meaning, for existence? Uh, again, we can become fixated on short-term fixes, a, a, a friendship, a yearning to be heard, to be needed, to be loved. And they're not insignificant, but they're not also not our greatest need. Our greatest need, what is that? Well, it's one we all have, and it's the need for a relationship with God, uh, God to rescue us and welcome us into his kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. All other needs, as important as they may seem, they really come in second to this. Without this, all of our striving, all of our living will be in vain. Our accumulations of wealth and experience, uh, just staving off the onset of age and infirmity through good health or good health practices, in the end won't count for all that much because we need something else, something that's beyond us, and that is an entrance into eternity that places us with God. We need that acceptance that only God can give to be called a child of God, to be given a fresh start, a restart, to have our sins forgiven. And, and it isn't just religious people. Uh, it isn't just people who seem to know something about spirituality. This is for all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. You and I and everyone else we know needs this from God as a gift. Our own abilities cannot gain it. Our own endeavours cannot win it. It's out of our reach. All of us have a problem with sin. That's because we've, uh, we've got some sort of addiction that's uh, dogged us and uh, made us uh, sometimes shamed. Uh, or even if, just a, if that doesn't sound very familiar, then maybe it's something that, that we just have in the background where we think God's not that relevant and we don't have to pay much attention to him. Treating him like he's not really real, not really there. It's, it's why of our own volition we can't really come into God's presence, into the presence of a, a truly holy and righteous God. Uh, we need his mercy to reach out to us, to cover over our sin, to welcome us home like the father to the wayward son, to be given grace that we didn't deserve, to find healing and come and bring our broken hearts and our broken, our broken lives.
And, and you know, no, no amount of experiences or money is going to pay for that, is it? God does this graciously to us and gives us this. He welcomes us in Jesus. What's that got to do with our reading today? Well, quite a lot, because you see here exactly what this man who was uh, paralysed and he spent... They discover this about Jesus. So let's have a look at the passage. Uh, the setting, uh, Jesus brings... Uh, He's been bringing good news about God's kingdom and he's been healing people of terrible, uh, debilitating diseases and he's been calling people to place their faith in God, in his king and his kingdom. The king is Jesus. In uh, the first chapter in Mark's customary rapid style of sketching, uh, he sketches this scene, one scene after another, and we see that Jesus, this servant king, he brings a message to people everywhere that they should repent and believe the gospel the great news about the king and the kingdom that has come near. Now in chapter 2, Mark describes a view as Jesus returns to what many people think is, is Peter and his brother Andrew's house and many hordes of people have come there to listen to him. Uh, it, it's not that this was just sort of, sort of like the fanatics or the, the people who had sort of some sort of buzz in their head to do something like this. It wasn't like, you know, a special club, you know, the Ford Drivers Club. People have Fords want to be there if they've got some specific vehicle like that. Or the Ferrari Club or the Holden Club or the, or the Laboratory Club, you know, the people who are into those stones and polish them. It's not just like that. They're just sort of the religious people. There are all sorts of people who came here. All kinds of people. And they all have this in common that they want to hear Jesus. Some of them, like Zacchaeus, later on we find out about, he climbs up a tree so they'll be able to hear Jesus more clearly. Uh, they're, they're all there for some reason. Uh, others are there because they want their lives to change. Some of them are there because they want to be healed. And among the crowd, there are scribes there too. These are kind of like the religious experts, the, the lawyers of the time. They're there. They're there listening to Jesus because they're trying to catch him out on something. Spent their whole life studying and they, they want to be the experts. And you can imagine there's kind of a, an air of electricity within this ordinary house, uh, so many people crowding around. Uh, some of them have got there earlier, I presume that they are sitting down, perhaps in a bit of a semicircle around Jesus, uh, listening. Uh, there's others who have got there later and they're sort of crowded in, uh, and others still crowded in behind them, and they're all shoulder to shoulder, every door and window that they can get to. If there was a COVID outbreak, you know, all of them probably get a fine. No social distancing, as we'd understand it. It's get your arm in, get your shoulder in. Try to stand there. Stand there really quiet so you can hear. God's servant is speaking about God's kingdom, and it's wonderful. And it's into this setting that the four friends come carrying something, or rather someone, someone that they care deeply about, their friend, a man who's uh, severely disabled, a, a paraplegic, uh, some translations go with. Uh, they're carrying him on his mat or a pallet. It requires four of them at the four corners. They're carrying him because they want to get him near Jesus. And we assume so that he'd be healed. And you've got to commend their tenacity, haven't you? I mean, because when they get there... Uh, 
we don't know how far they've travelled already, but when they get there, there's a problem at the entrance of the door. Everywhere else there's these people they jammed up there and they can't get through there. If it was one, one of the friends, well, he might have got squeezed through. If he's a, a bit rude, used his elbows a bit, he might have got in there, pushed his way through a little bit. But when there's four of them and they're carrying someone, there's no way they can get in. They've got buckleys. And you see, a lot of people this time might have, might have uh, they might have just gone home. They might have said, it, it must be God's will that we can't see Jesus. God didn't want us to see, didn't want us to bring our friend to see Jesus. Uh, many people would just say, it's just too difficult. Why bother? But not these friends. Uh, their solution is uh, this narrow staircase up the side. is a bit of a sketch of it. We don't actually have a photograph of the house itself, but this is the sort of thing. They had to go up the side there, these sort of little staircases with no railing up the sides of the building. And that's what, that's what they're going to do. They're trying to get up there. And uh, uh, they, they get up to the top. There might have been people at the top. You know, when you've got something happening, there's a lot of people there. Some of them do climb up the top and look over the top, don't they? So there could have, might, might well have been people on top as well. But they find a little space in the centre and say, hey, there's a, there's a gap here. Let's see if we can do something to get our friend down to Jesus. And uh, so they begin to remove the roof. It's not like taking a few screws out of a bit of corrugated iron and just simply doing that like the air conditioning guy might do when he goes to, goes to your house. Now, this, is a, this is a solid thing that people would walk around on. It's like, a, like you'd have as a, a landing or a, or a um, patio sort of thing. Uh, we'd build it out of cement today, I guess. But they didn't have that necessarily. They, they had just sticks and clay. And so they made this thing, probably pretty heavy, big logs up there so it would support something. And it's all got this clay and stick and thing, things over it, pressed down so you could walk on it and not fall through and kill yourself. That's what they're going through. And so we can imagine that they probably needed a few tools. Maybe they say, hey, you've got a, got a pick or a crowbar or something, and they're hacking away there at this thing. And they're, they're, they're trying to get, get, make a hole big enough to let someone through. And it's surprising how big a hole you need to let someone through, isn't it? And if it's true that this is Peter's house, Peter doesn't have a great deal of patience. You can imagine this, this Peter in the, in the Bible here, he, he's probably saying, that, hey, what are you guys doing? No one wants their house wrecked, someone to get down through the roof. But did Jesus stop preaching while this commotion ensued? I'm not sure. If you've ever dug through something like this, uh, no matter how carefully you do it, there's usually a fair bit of... Uh, uh, a few things falling down. It's a bit like digging a post hole, but doing it on the roof. It, it wouldn't be easy. There'd be a fair bit of, fair few things happening. There'd be a bit, bit of uh, clay and wood and lumps like that sort of falling down into the room below. Sort of the hack, bash, thump, bop, crack, dust and clods falling down down below there. And finally, there's a hole large enough, and I assume that they attach ropes and uh, lower this fellow down into the presence of Jesus. Verse 5 says, uh, Jesus saw their faith, and, uh, and, and not only theirs, but the faith of the man. It's plural, their faith. Uh, and, and what does Jesus do? Uh, does he say, you naughty fellas, didn't you realise that there's probably WH and S rules about this sort of thing? Did he say, um, uh, have you done a risk assessment? Did you get council approval to do this? 
No. Does he say, uh, well, get a, you better get a shovel and a vacuum cleaner down here? He says, look, you made a pretty big mess down here on the floor. No, he doesn't say any of that to them. He doesn't chastise them for interrupting or, or breaking through the roof. Instead, he says to the disabled man, son or child, it can be translated, your sins are forgiven. It's an astonishing thing to say. Notice it said in the present tense, your sins are forgiven. This is the greatest need, this is the greatest need of every person that was there on that day, whether they knew it or not. It was the greatest need of this man uh, who couldn't use his limbs to carry him around. You see, God knows our greatest need and he knows what others' greatest needs are also. Uh, we, in our wisdom, are often inclined to judge what we think others need most. Uh, we see someone who has a disability. Uh, we see a person with a, with a white cane or maybe they've got a guide dog or something. And we say, oh boy, that must be hard. Oh, you know, they, they really need, if they can have this sight. And we assume what it is. But we might be wrong. We assume we know what is their greatest need. And here is a man who needs forgiveness, just like everyone else. Uh, he needs to be healed uh, and in a moment, that's what's going to happen. Um, but, but a lot of people don't have that, do they? But their greatest need remains that need of relationship with God. And it's been granted to him with faith. Uh, Jesus' words of assurance and forgiveness come to him. Do you and I have this said to us? If we have faith, uh, we may know uh, that the Saviour addresses us as child, your sins are forgiven. This is something that tells us something about Jesus. And you know, the scribes are on to this straight away. They you know what the, how a pro goes when he's getting a mouse. They're right on to this because they reasoned in their hearts that if he's saying that, he must be saying that he's God. We, having knowledge of some of the things that are about to transpire, if we read ahead, uh, the eyewitness accounts of Jesus and what he does on the cross, we'd be inclined to answer that, yes, he is God. But for most of the scribes, uh, they can't come at that. Jesus come as God in the flesh, the Messiah, or one of these ones that the prophets have been speaking about. How could that be? Because they've already got there, you know, got the blinkers on already. They're already looking for a chance to attack him and they want to dismiss him as a blasphemer. Jesus knows what they're thinking and in answer he provides the miracle that they may have thought was more difficult because, you know, who could tell what was going on in a person's heart if they've got forgiveness or not? No one can see that. They are saying, why don't you do the harder thing? Well, if you're dealing with God, which is the harder thing? But he does the other thing as well. He actually restores this man's spinal column or, or for some other reason of his paralysis. We don't know exactly what, what it was that was causing this, but whatever it is, he, he heals that. And so the man uh, is able to pick up his mat and walk out of the house. Uh, he does that. And, and notice he couldn't get into the house before. Now he can go in and out. Did people just sort of part and make a bit of a way for him? But he's got access now to Jesus. And it's been a remarkable change. 
And notice the competing reactions to Jesus. Uh, you see there in the, in the middle of the passage um, the, the scribes' reaction, but then later on you see what the people's reaction is. Uh, the scribes, are, we can assume, after he did this miracle, they had nothing else to say, and so they just stayed grumpy and complaining. They didn't say anything or think anything. Maybe they probably thought plenty of things. But then there's the crowd, and they are amazed. Uh, the, the word for this is they are literally out of their minds. They were beside themselves. We never saw anything like this. Now, how might we apply this? Two ways. Uh, God does not take account of a person's physical abilities or their disabilities. No, the gospel is equal for all kinds of people in all kinds of places. Here was Jesus in the presence of a great crowd of people and some may have already had faith and others who may, maybe didn't. And yet this one... Uh, this one man who had no ability of himself to get there is given this gift by Jesus, given this welcome. Son or child, your sins are forgiven. Would we want to hear those words? Do we say, oh, I've got so many hindrances, I, I cannot come close. I'm limited in ways that others are not. Why would God care for me? And yet he does. He says, come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew 11. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. John 14. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. My sheep know my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. John 10. Do we want to hear words like that spoken to us personally? All our lives we, we may never have known what our greatest need is. But, but when we look into the face of the Saviour and we hear those words, Child, your sins are forgiven. It makes a difference. An eternity of welcome begins immediately. What we thought were limitations were really opportunities to realise our true need of Jesus. Humanity, the world, they might have their assessment. But what of it? God looks at the heart. If we have a mustard seed's worth of faith, we can call out to him and know that he hears us. He calls all of us to come. Will you have faith? Will you trust in Jesus? Will you find forgiveness in these words? There were four friends there, weren't there? But if they consider the fellow who was also there, there were five. But were there six really? Because Jesus cares as a friend, doesn't he? He bears his sin, he carries his sin away as a friend. He lays down his life for his friends. Finally, Consider how wonderful is Jesus Christ that he has the power to forgive sins, not just temporarily, but for all eternity. Uh, they're dealt with for all eternity. It's not like uh, some angel we're not quite sure about or some uh, person who says something and then we, we have to do some things. No, this is God himself who forgives for all eternity. Jesus takes away our sin. He carries it away. 
we come to him? Do we rejoice to hear those words and that answer of our greatest need from Jesus? Child, your sins are forgiven. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we, we know we cannot bring anything of ourselves to earn this gift, but you give it so freely. And you are far more willing to listen to us than we are to speak. Lord, please grant within our own hearts that assurance, that knowledge that you care and that you won't let go. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing our last song, uh, No Other Name.